Today on Blue 58, we're starting a new year, which means that it's the perfect time for some Packers-themed resolutions. What should be on the team's self-improvement list this year? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. A couple quick announcements before we get started here. We have our list of giveaway winners to announce today. So bear with me as we we get these people's names out really quickly. I will be I just wanted to make sure that we actually credited the people who are winning these things actually on the podcast today as part of the thank you for being a part of the uh, the fundraiser this year. I will be in touch with the, each of you individually as well uh, to make sure we've got the right address on file for you to make sure you get your prizes. So, first and foremost, our five sticker pack winners are Christina Nargawala, Chris Mann, Patrick Schaumer, Brian Murphy, and Kendra Frederick. Our five t-shirt winners are Trevor Spranger, David Steger, Tom Underberg, Michael Clutterbuck, and William Park Sutherland. Our two $25 certificate winners are Jacob Kinblom and Ben Cook. Our $50 certificate winners are Michael Kamuda and Ian Plum. And winning the Packers jerseys this year are Adam Bewen. And Alex Gesh, again, thank you to everybody who participated this year. I'll be in touch with each of the prize winners directly to make sure that we can get sizes and designs and all of those things hammered out. The second thing, we mentioned the t-shirt Chicago Delenda Est in the last episode. Uh, Give a look at the link in your show notes here if you want to take a, a look at buying that. It is Chicago Must Be Destroyed Week. Let's make sure Chicago gets destroyed by putting on some of those t-shirts ahead of this week's game. Maybe just a fun way to celebrate what should be a very, very fun Week 18 for the Green Bay Packers. couple corrections. Well, just one correction before we get started here with uh, some of the other topics we want to talk about. I undersold what the Packers need to do, or maybe oversold what the Packers need to do in Week 18 at the end of the last podcast. It was incorrect on the Packers needing help in addition to winning. Just win, baby. Just win and the Packers are in. That's one of three scenarios in which they can make the playoffs. That is the only one that you need to worry about as far as them winning the game. So just win and you get in the easiest way to go about it. The second and third ways the Packers can get in via Packers wire are through a Saints loss to the Falcons and the Seahawks losing to the Cardinals and the Vikings losing to the Lions. So if all three of those things happen, in addition to the Packers losing, they can still get into the playoffs. Thirdly, the Packers can get in if the Buccaneers lose to the Panthers and the Seahawks lose to the Cardinals and the Vikings lose to the Lions as well. So no matter what happens, the Packers need the Seahawks and Vikings to lose, as well as either the Saints or the Buccaneers to lose if the Packers would happen to lose on Sunday. I say we just beat the snot out of the Bears and get into the playoffs that way, and I hope you would agree as well. Packers have been busy this week. They signed Bo Melton to the 53-man roster. Very, very excited for him. Uh, Validation of the last month or so of his work with the Packers and including the big game that he had against the Vikings on Sunday. To make space for him, the Packers moved Samori Ture to the injured reserve list. Tenuous, I think, hold on his future in Green Bay. Anything can change at any time. I don't think anybody saw the Bo Melton renaissance here coming down the stretch, at least not to the extent that it's happened. I've always been a pretty big fan of Bo Melton and what I thought he could bring to the roster. But this is beyond my wildest dreams for that prediction. 
exciting to see it happen, but it obviously there is an, an equal and opposite effect here, and that partially means that Samori Ture's role has diminished, and now he heads to injured reserve for the foreseeable future. And again, anything can change. If he's still around in training camp for next year, he's going to have as good a shot as anybody if he plays well. That's all you've got to do, and we'll just see what he can do if and when he gets another chance in Green Bay. Finally, the Packers have signed safety Tyler Coyle to their practice squad, six foot one, two hundred nine pound prospect, pretty good size for safety. He's an undrafted free agent out of Purdue, played four years at Connecticut prior to that. He's been on and off the Packers, or not the Packers, the Dallas Cowboys practice squad and active roster for the past two years. My normal brain says this is the Packers looking for safety depth and potential futures. Guys, you've got to watch out for those kind of signings at this time of year. There will always be a few guys signed between, well, like December and the end of January that are going to be in camp next year, in addition to your actual futures contracts players. But my conspiracy theory brain wants to say that the Packers are looking for inside intel on the Packers de- on the Cowboys' defense ahead of a possible playoff matchup. Now, clearly that would probably not be the best way to go about it because Coyle hasn't been a member of the Dallas Cowboys since August, so whatever information he has is probably way out of date. But it's fun to think about things like that anyway as the Packers look ahead, hopefully, to the playoffs and potentially a matchup with the Dallas Cowboys on the road in Dallas. So Packers resolutions. What should the Packers be resolving to do in 2024? You make resolutions? I do. I've made kind of a practice of it over the last few years, but I don't take it super seriously. They're more of things I hope to do than things I'm resolving to do. But I think the value of resolutions is as much in making them as it is in keeping them. Obviously, it'd be great if you could keep them or get as close to keeping them as you possibly can. But at least on a personal level, I think the idea of going through what you really want to accomplish in 2024, and at least for a while, setting your mind on accomplishing as much of it as you possibly can is a good one. Even understanding that you're probably not going to get get to all of it, some of those resolutions may not even hold. The process, I think, is worth it, even if you don't ultimately hold to it all that much. As far as the Packers go, there are a few things that they, I think they should resolve to do that perhaps would improve the team or at least give them steps in the right direction, maybe strategically toward improving the team over the course of the 2024 calendar year. So I've got five resolutions here that I think could really shape this Packers team and roster as they head into 2024 and beyond. Their first resolution, I think, should be to spend some money at safety. The Packers are going to have pretty limited cap availability in 2024. Some, not currently a lot. Exactly how much is going to depend on what happens with a whole bunch of different guys. David Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, Preston Smith, you get the idea. But if the Packers are going to spend any amount of money in free agency, I think they should probably be looking to spend at safety. This is without even looking at who may be available in free agency. My thought process is more along these lines. If you're going to spend somewhere, the idea is that you should probably get the biggest bang for your buck as you probably can. And looking at the Packers roster, the place where need and potential veteran upgrade mesh to me the most is at safety. If you look at everywhere else where they have theoretical need, 
I don't think spending is really going to give them that much of an upgrade. At cornerback, they could probably use some veteran depth. But the amount of money you're likely going to have to spend is probably not going to get you somebody who's meaningfully better than, say, a Carrington Valentine or a Corey Valentine or even an Eric Stokes. So you're probably not going to get much return on your investment there. The idea of signing the equivalent of a Rasul Douglas is is there, but it's not going to happen in true free agency. You're probably going to look more for an undrafted free agent or like Douglas was, somebody off of someone's practice squad that you're getting for a veteran veteran minimum contract uh, just for the balance of a season. That's a, a big part of why the Packers, why Rasul Douglas is so attractive to the Packers is he was a veteran and he was cheap and he was available. So that's why they, they end up signing a guy like that. The chances of doing that again, though, especially in true free agency in March when the new year league starts, it seems like slim to none. Safety... Just looking at what's going to be in the cupboard for the Packers next year, as of right now, your guaranteed guys to be around really just boil down to Anthony Johnson. I'm not even sure what Jonathan Owens' contract situation is. I think both he and Rudy Ford were on one-year deals to be back for next year. In any case, there's going to be plenty of open roster real estate at safety. So it seems like you could probably get a pretty – Either either at like a, a mid-tier starter, even a low-end starter is going to do quite a bit for you. It, it makes it so that you have at least one known commodity at safety. Look at it this way. Even if Darnell Savage isn't great, one of the best things he is for the Packers defense is an absolutely known commodity. And he's been better, I think, as a starter over the balance of his career than anybody else the Packers have on the roster at safety right now, which admittedly isn't saying all that much, but at least Darnell Savage knows what you're doing. You know what he is as a pro, and you know exactly what he can and can't give you, which is valuable. I will bang that drum forever. You, you Knowing exactly what you have in a guy does count for something. Even if you know that he's not very good, if you're a coach worth your salt, you should be able to work around that if you have to, and that's probably the situation the Packers are going to be in next year having to work with suboptimal situations at safety, signing a veteran who may not be an absolute world beater, but spending something to make sure that you get some kind of veteran presence there probably makes a difference for you. And if you look at the the Packers defense as a whole, the safety group is probably where they need the biggest overall improvement. And if they can improve at all, it probably helps the defense quite a bit. The second resolution I think should be to address the interior offensive line first, then look at adding talent at tackle. Conventional wisdom, I think, for most of this season, even prior to what happened with David Bakhtiari, was that the Packers were going to need to draft a tackle at some point early in the 2024 draft. That may still happen, but I think center and guard is still a bigger need than tackle. To this point of the season, I think Rasheed Walker has at least entered not an active liability stage, which is a pretty good place to be in if you're an offensive lineman. We've long characterized, and this is not unique to me or or Blue 58, but we have long described the offensive line as kind of a weak link proposition. If you can't be a plus offensive lineman, at least don't be an active liability for the rest of the offensive line. Because If you can at least disguise the weaknesses on your offensive line, you can probably get by and produce a pretty good unit. And I think 
more or less over the second half of the season. That has been true for the Packers. They haven't had one outstanding weak link on their offensive line over the second half of the season. Some of that has been because they've been willing to try and do some weird things, doing their timeshare with Rasheed Walker uh, and Yash Nyman at left tackle or John Runyon and Sean Ryan at, at right guard. By the way, an update on both of those. Uh, Rasheed Walker is at 100% snaps for two consecutive weeks now, so I think that timeshare is effectively done. We've got Rasheed Walker starting left tackle until something dramatically changes at that point. And then, partly due to John Runyon having to slide over and take some snaps at center because of um, uh, because of Josh Meyer's injury, Sean Ryan broke 50% for the first time in his NFL career. He played 53% of the snaps on Sunday. All that to say, if Rasheed Walker can at least be a neutral offensive tackle, that at least, I think, lets you reframe the conversation about what you really need on the offensive line a little bit. If you're not going to be in a position to grab one of the premier tackles, and if the Packers make the playoffs, they are likely not going to be, I think you need to rethink that whole conversation a little bit about what you're looking to add and maybe try to add some center or guard help before adding a tackle, or at least putting those on equal footing. The Packers need more help, I think, on the interior offensive line than they do at tackle right now. Again, that can change, but at least you've got answers at both right and left tackle right now between Walker and Zach Tom. Thirdly, I think the Packers should resolve to find some stability at running back in 2024. Exactly what that means I'm not sure, but as of right now, I wouldn't say going into 2024, into the 2024 league year, you could characterize running back as an especially stable position. The Packers have stability right now at the end of the 2023 season, but I think there are question marks about Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Patrick Taylor, and Emmanuel Wilson heading into 2024. All of them have question marks of their own. Will Aaron Jones be on the roster due to his cap situation? I'm not weighing in on that one anymore. Aaron Jones seems to have some sort of um, power on the universe where the rules just kind of bend around him as to what he would usually expect from an aging running back uh, in terms of his ability to stay on a roster. We've been predicting his demise in one form or another for a couple years now. Just taking that one off of my personal board, we'll just wait and see what happens and evaluate it when it does. A.J. Dillon is not currently under contract for 2024 with the Green Bay Packers. Patrick Taylor, I don't believe, is either. But even if he is, there are some question marks as to what kind of role he could have in a big way heading into 2024. Like, could he be your lead back? Probably not. Does he want to be in Green Bay long term after what happened over the course of this season? Perhaps maybe bygones are bygones at this point. And Emmanuel Wilson can he stay healthy enough? Is is his shoulder going to be recovered enough to be a real contributor in 2024? You'd think probably, but if they add anybody else, can he essentially make the 53-man roster again? There are a lot of different question marks there, and I think we need at least one multi-year guy for the running back room to really build around. I don't think we should rule out the possibility that uh, that A.J. Dillon might be that guy. Perhaps the Packers just look at the running back market and say, look, we know that A.J. Dillon has some limitations. We know that he's not a perfect back. We know that he's even been a little bit nicked up this year. But relative to what you'd have to spend at, on other running back 
guys, we like A.J. Dillon coming back because of the locker room guy that he is, because of what he can do with our offense, because of the roles that we know that we have for him. And then we'll draft somebody else to maybe kind of come up behind him like he did with both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I think that's a realistic possibility for 2024, especially if the Packers are going to spend. Kind of like we talked about at safety, if you were going to spend somewhere on offense, where would you spend money? You're probably not going to sign a starting caliber tackle because we know those guys are expensive. You're not going to sign a receiver who's probably going to make a huge impact just because of the the, the reality the realities of the market there. You don't really need a tight end. You probably can't sign a starting caliber center or guard either, much like you would with a tackle because of the same kind of reasons. Those guys just don't go, grow on trees, and the trees that they grow on are quite expensive to buy from. What does that leave you with? Well, probably running back. And if you're going to spend at running back, I think you could make a, a sensical case, maybe not a good one, but a, a, a case that makes sense to sign A.J. Dillon. That at least gives you some stability and lets you draft a guy who doesn't have to be the guy right away. Fourthly, I think the Packers should resolve to not pass up an opportunity to keep adding talent at wide receiver and tight end. Now, I know I just said that they shouldn't go out and sign a receiver and tight end. I think that's true. I remain skeptical of the availability of receivers that could really make a difference for what you'd have to pay or the Packers are going to be able to pay. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. The guys that the Packers are going to be able to afford are probably not going to be huge difference makers for this offense in 2024 beyond just having been successful in the NFL before to some degree. Maybe that guy is out there. I'm just skeptical of it. However, I think Brian Gutekunst, having had a firsthand look at how this transpired, should look back at a lesson that the Packers learned the hard way from 2015 through 2021. The lesson there is that depth at both wide receiver and tight end should never be considered a guaranteed, either in the short or uh, should be considered a guaranteed thing, that is, in neither the short or long term. So don't ever assume that you're just set with your pass catchers just because they're playing well. Don't assume that the guys that you've added either are going to be solid long term. The wide receiver room looks good right now, as does the tight end room. At wide receiver, you've got Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Malik Heath as your top five in some order. If you want to put Watson at the top of that list because when healthy, he's probably their number one guy. If you want to put Romeo Dobbs as number two, if you want to put Dontavian Wicks as their number one, have at it. I don't I don't really care about the order. The point is they've got, got five guys they probably feel pretty good about to some extent. However, is any one of those guys really the guy right now? Who is the straw that re, uh, stirs that five wide receiver drink? I don't really know if they have one guy. You've got some guys that can do a lot of interesting things. I think Reed and Wicks in particular have showed that they can do a lot of interesting things for the Packers this year. It seems like every week, Jaden Reed finds a new way to get to the end zone. Basically just waiting for the Jaden Reed punt return touchdown at this point, just because it seems like that's the only other way that he can find to get into the end zone. But... Are they the guy? Are they, to use a phrase that I really don't like, but I think you understand the point here, are they, quote-unquote, a true number one receiver? Probably not. Could they become one? Sure, I think so. I think 
an outside-inside combination of Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed is pretty promising. Mix in Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs on the other side, and you've probably got something there too. But that's far from a guarantee. And maybe this is it for Reed. Maybe this is it for Wicks. Maybe this is it for Dobbs. Maybe this is as good as it gets for any of them right now. Maybe Christian Watson is never healthy again. How do you feel about that depth if any of those things are true? I think the Packers showed between 2015 and 2021 that you should never really pass up opportunities to add talent at receiver or tight end if you have the opportunity because that depth can go away really quickly. And if you don't address it, say in 2019 or 2020 or 2021, suddenly you head into the 2022 season with some veterans who have never really been high-end guys or were but aren't anymore, and then a bunch of rookies, and then you get to 2023 and it's all young guys because you weren't backfilling. The Packers need to at least remind themselves that they can't sit on their laurels developing any position. That includes a position that's been as as exciting as any on this roster over the course of the season. I mean, look at the second half here. Look at how Jaden Reed and Wicks have emerged and, and done some really good things. Look at how well Romeo Dobbs has played when he's finally been in something resembling the role that we have asked for and asked for and asked for for him. He doesn't have to do it all. And when he gets a chance to not do it all, it turns out he's a pretty reliable player. Sure, he doesn't have the strongest hands anymore. Maybe he does drop a pass here and there that he should probably catch. But he also finds himself in the end zone a lot and apparently open at a rate that gets him quite a bit of attention from the quarterback. So even if some of the advanced numbers may not necessarily like him, at least he can do those things. But if you could improve on that, I think you should take the opportunity. You shouldn't just say we're set anywhere, even as well as some of these guys have been playing. And if you could add a, maybe another tight end in there as well, I don't think anything should be considered guaranteed beyond, you know, Kraft and Musgrave at the top. As much as I've liked Ben Sims this year, Josiah DeGuara probably isn't coming back for 2024. There are opportunities to add things there as well. Maybe you take another swing at that Kyle Juszczyk type. If that's something that you really want to do, Shoot, why not? The Packers are doing some crazy stuff with Henry Pearson earlier this year, running orbit motion with a fullback, for crying out loud. If you get a guy who's really a plus athlete and a great pass catcher and can do all the things that you hope to do with Josiah DeGuara, why not add in another guy like that? The point is, don't pass up opportunities just because you think you're solid at one spot. And Maybe that lesson should be, maybe that resolution should be for everywhere on the Packers roster. Just because you feel good about something, doesn't mean you should stop adding talent given the opportunity. That's what it's all about in the draft, right? Best player available. Finally, I think the Packers should resolve to add size on the defensive line. This is a pretty easy one. We've lamented the lack of size on the defensive line for a while now, and I understand maybe this is just how Joe Barry wants to build the defense, but I think the defense is proving that you could use a little bit more beef up front. On the active roster right now, there are only two defensive linemen who weigh more than 305 pounds. Devontae Wyatt is listed at 304, so he doesn't quite make that cut. But then you've got Kenny Clark at 314, and then you have TJ Slayton, I think, at 330. I didn't actually write down his weight there. I just know that he's one of the two that's above 305. Other than that, you've got Carl Brooks at 296 is his listed weight right now. I think he's actually about that that 300-pound mark, but he's not a big, heavy dude. And then you've got 
Colby Wooden, who's down in like the, the high 270s, maybe 280s, uh, depending on what source that you look at. That's not a very heavy defensive line. On the practice squad, you have two bigger-bodied guys that the Packers seem determined not to play in Chris Slayton at 307 and Jonathan Ford at 338. Maybe next year is the time that we finally get to see one of those guys play. But I think you see the overall problem here. If the Packers, if part of the reason the Packers can't stop the run is just that they aren't very big up front, this seems like a way to improve your defense in one really simple way. Just get more big bodies. T.J. Slayton can't be the only big body up front uh, as well as he's played this year, and I think they just they just need to add a little bit more size there. So there's my five resolutions. Two recaps. Spend money at safety, address the interior offensive line, then offensive tackle, find some stability at running back, don't pass up an opportunity to keep adding talent at receiver or tight end, and then add some size on the defensive line. I'm taking it as a given that they'll probably be looking to improve their defensive coordinator, Spot, I hope so. I hope I can count on that being a given. We'll see, though. Uh, Maybe the Packers really shut down the Bears here in Week 18 and then get a playoff win, and then, and then, and then, who knows what kind of conversations we're having uh, having in mid to late January if stuff like that goes really crazy. It's been a roller coaster season. You never know what is going to be around the corner. Maybe we're talking about Joe Barry and his future in Green Bay by the time things are all said and done for the 2023 Packers. I wanted to conclude today uh, by talking about something that is, I guess, personally important to me in the sports world, the sports media world in particular. Uh, Paul Lucas of UniWatch has announced today that he's going to be stepping away Uh, from the project at some point this year, around May, I think, is when it's going to actually take place. And I would encourage you to go to uniwatch.com and and read his reasoning, read some of the things that he talked about in terms of why he wants to step away from something that he has done now for 25 years. So congratulations to him for doing that um, for that long. And then also congratulations for stepping away. I know that I've referred to it a lot over the years, but he is one of the reasons that the power sweep exists and why I got into to writing and talking about sports because he talked to, to me a long time ago about writing things that you enjoy, writing for yourself first and foremost. And he's been kind of a guiding light on that front because he's been able to do it so long. And now he gets to do something else really exciting too. He gets to step away and decide that he wants to do something different. It's going to be different in that it's not necessarily going to be exclusively about uniforms, but it's just going to be about things that catch his interest, about minutiae, about tiny details that maybe go a little bit unnoticed. And I think if you are a longtime listener of of Blue 58 and have followed what we've done at the Power Sweep, you see some of those influences showing up here. I kind of think that the Power Sweep and Blue 58 are, are sort of along those lines as well, just writing about things that jump out to me, talking about things that I think matter and, you know, are, philosophically are important to me about sports. But I, I do kind of agree with Paul when he talks about UniWatch being just something that fits into a broader category of who he is as a person. I think this is kind of this, the same line here, too. And he had a big part in, in helping me find that in my own creative output, too. So congratulations to him. And again, um, I know I said this on on a recent episode, the the last one, I think, before the end of the, the 2023 year. But if you've ever thought about 
doing something creative or trying something or, I don't know, doing a project, whether it's a podcast or a blog or a substack or painting or whatever, just do it. Just start, see if you like it, see how long it goes. And if it stops, try something else. I've had a lot of failed experiments like that. We've tried a lot of different things. Some of them have worked like this, if, if this works. Some of them have not, but it's worth trying it, and it's worth exploring it, and it's worth seeing where it could take you for one of my creative inspirations in, in the things that you know I've done sports-wise. It lasted for 25 years, and now he's going to do something else, which is pretty cool too. I hope that uh, we can continue to offer that same kind of stuff for you for a long time to come. But as far as UniWatch goes, kudos to Paul Lucas for making it 25 awesome years, and even more so for stepping away at a time that he thought was right, doing it for the right reasons, doing it for himself, which is all that you can really do, I think, in creative pursuits anyway. If you're not doing it for yourself, why are you doing it at all? I think that's a a fair question to ask, but if there's something that you need to get out, make sure that you do. Give it a shot because, you know, you owe it to yourself to try. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.